right, well, it's good to be with you all this morning. If I've not got a chance to connect with you before, uh, my name is Rob, and it's great to serve as one of the pastors here at Eastern Hills. If you're at home online, great to have you as well. we got a lot to cover today, so I'm going to jump right in. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation before where you're in the presence of someone that's about to exit and vacate and face a situation that requires conviction. Like, sometimes as parents or grandparents, we love those that are in our care, and we're sending them out into a situation that they are up against, whether it's things at school, a teacher, or it's a, it's a group of students. Like, if you're a junior high, like, junior high girls can be really mean. Love you, ladies, but those junior high years are rough. And sometimes your convictions collide with the people that you do life with. Maybe uh, you're sending a loved one out the door and that spouse is a, is a supervisor and they're going to have a hard conversation with an employee or they're an employee that's going to talk with their supervisor. Maybe it's sending out a family member to confront them and they're going to face conviction. And when you're in this situation, everything within you wants to pump bravery into their soul because you care for them deeply. That's the mindset from Jesus to the church of Smyrna. That's what we're gonna see this morning. And we might all not agree when it comes to Jesus and how we think about Jesus and how we live for Jesus. But the thing that we can all agree on is that many of us are drawn to courage. In fact, we celebrate courage. We celebrate men and women that willingly run towards adversity. We celebrate men and women that give up their lives for the benefit of others. And yet, while many of us are drawn to courage, few are drawn to the circumstances that require it. Just because we're drawn to this virtue in other people doesn't mean that we're drawn to the circumstances that require that virtue in us. And yet, more and more, it seems evident and obvious that to follow Jesus, it's going to take courage. And that's the message this morning. Would you turn and grab your Bible, the last book in the New Testament, We call it Revelation, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, is where we're going to be this morning. And so John is the guy that gives us this message, but it's Jesus to John to us. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. Now remember, John, he's exiled on an island. If you recall, because he said yes to following Jesus, he faced opposition. He was persecuted. For some people that said, I follow Jesus, they were burned alive. For some people that said, I follow Jesus, they were hung upside down on a cross. For some people that said, I follow Jesus, they were stoned to death. For John, because he said, I follow Jesus, he was left on an island per the government's orders because he was seen as a threat. And so you can imagine, as Jesus is delivering this message through John, this message of hope for a church that's in the midst of persecution, there's some conflict here. Saying, hey, things are going to get better, and yet hard to imagine a time in history 
where Roman oppression was so prevalent, persecuting people for simply saying, I follow Jesus. And yet here's John saying, victory is coming. And so he says, these are the words of him, Jesus, who is the first and last who died and came to life again. It's interesting because there's this pattern here over and over again that as Jesus delivers a message, he also references the resurrection. And the reason for that is a dead Jesus is a dead faith. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, then we should ignore everything that he says. But because historically the evidence is overwhelming that he has risen from the dead, we should lean in and engage every word that he said. And so he reminds those that are listening, both then and today, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. If you missed last week, here's the thesis with this series. Oftentimes when someone sits down with you and they're going to have a hard conversation, the gravitational pull for most of us when we walk away from that conversation is to say, ouch, that hurts. Like that was hard to hear. Like that stung a little bit. But the difference in this series is that we're reminding ourselves that when it comes to Jesus and how he describes his relationship with the church, he describes us as his bride. If you recall in the beginning, God created all things and everything was good. Man had this perfect relationship with his creator. It was, it was a perfect, intimate relationship. But because humanity said, I'd rather be God than serve God, sin entered the equation. And that screwed everything up. It distorted lives. It brought about pain and devastating consequence. And humanity's response to sin was to do what? Hide. And so for thousands of years, what Jesus has been trying to do is to draw us out from hiding. Because he wants us to get back to this state of intimacy. The first humans were described as being full of shame the moment they experienced sin. Naked and full of shame. And so God's intent is to get us back to this place where we can enter into a relationship with him, where he knows all of the good, all of the bad, and all of the ugly, and still we know we are known, understood, and accepted. That's God's heart for his people. That's God's heart for you. And yet the only way we get there is, without some ch- is w- through some challenging conversations along the way. And so the invitation for us is to walk away each week saying, ouch, that helps. And so last week, challenging message to the church of Ephesus, Jesus' message to this church, it's better to have no church than an unloving church. 
It's great that you understand the gospel. It's great that you know theology. It's great that you can understand the one who is over all things and you can refute theology and you can stand toe-to-toe and debate. Those things are good things in and of themselves, but if you can do those things and not love, Jesus says, it's not gonna happen. It'd be better for you to close your doors. It's truth and love. And so this week, it's another challenging message. It's an ouch that helps moment to this church in Smyrna where Jesus is telling them it's better to let a church suffer than to prevent it. It's better for a church to experience pain than protect them from the pain. And I gotta be honest, as I was studying this week, there there was this tenseness within me where I was, God, I mean, I think a protected church is better than a persecuted church. Like, if if I had to choose, like, I would much rather there just be this giant force field around my life where I experience no pain, hurt, and suffering, or like, none of that. Like, that's the ideal. I drift towards comfort all the time, and yet Jesus is saying, that's nice, I've got something different in mind. And here's reality. Pre-March 2020, to be a church in the United States, most of the time, we, we seldom experienced persecution or opposition. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of pandemic, there was a lot of leadership discussions. And all of a sudden, there was a little bit of a hardship when it comes to following after Jesus. And in the midst of that time, many, many people left the church. People said, hey, the version of Christianity that I grew up with doesn't fit with the world today. Like my values as a follower of Jesus are in collision with those that I do life with. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break things down and I'm going to rebuild a faith that I'm comfortable with. And I'm going to create a version of God that I'm comfortable with. And here's the problem with this process. This is what many people have done over the past three, four years. Studies after study have shown this process of rebuilding a faith. And here's the problem. You'll never rebuild a God that will tell you no. This is Pastor um, Albert Tate. He comes out of a church on the West Coast. He says, you'll, you'll never rebuild a God that would allow pain and disappointment in your life. So whatever you reconstruct won't include pain. And yet one of God's tools in his sanctifying process is pain. So prior to moving out to central New York, this would have been like August of 2019, I had been doing ministry, and I would say, and I would tell friends and people that I do life with, that prior to coming out here, like those two years were some of the sweetest years of ministry that I've experienced. Like there was this level of comfort and ease. Like people were signing up, engaging, showing up to church, people are coming to know Christ, there was tremendous momentum, and yet we're so thrilled to be here. And God called us to the Northeast, and we're sure that this is where God wants us to be. And yet from the moment we got here in August 2019, all cards on the table, it's been some of the most painful experiences that I've experienced in my entire life. Mentally, physically, spiritually. And yet, if I was having a conversation with Jesus at Cafe Kubal or Sky Top Coffee, here's what he would remind me. Just as he reminded the church in Smyrna, I know your afflictions. I know your afflictions. We all showed up with junk in our life today. 
There's not a perfect person in this room. Everybody has circumstances that maybe has you stressed out a little bit. Whether it's watching the news and thinking about what could be, maybe it's situations in your marriage, maybe it's just trying to be a parent that inspires the next generation, maybe it's things in your workplace, maybe it's the appointment that you know that's coming and you're not sure what the diagnosis is gonna be or what the treatment's gonna be, but there's nerves, there's anxiety, there's worry, there's fear, there's frustrations, there's things that you want to be different. And Jesus says to you in this moment, I know your afflictions. I know the hurt that you have in your life. And this is where the ouch that helps comes in. And this kicked me right in the keister this week. Jesus is saying, I know you don't have it as good as you want it but you have it better than you understand. I know you don't have things the way that you want them to be, and yet you have it better than you understand. Wow, ouch, that helps. Two of the seven churches that Jesus writes to, he's got nothing against. There's not disappointment, there's not frustration. His intent is to inspire and encourage. That's the posture that Jesus writes with to the church in Smyrna. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. The church in Smyrna was largely poor. Like by global standards, we are a wealthy people. You could say, hey, in our city, this is one of the most poverty-stricken places in the United States, and I hear you. And yet when we compare to global standards, we are a wealthy people group. And I'm not saying wealth is bad in of itself. I'm not saying run from wealth. I'm saying don't trust in it. Because money works until it doesn't. Wealth has an advantage, but so does poverty. What do you mean by that? It's a good question. Glad you asked. Here's the deal. When you're in a position of poverty, you're on the outside looking in. And you're looking at a group of people that have wealth. Some of what, the best of what life has to offer. And yet from the outside looking in, this is a group that's depressed. This is a group that is full of anxiety, fear, stress all the time. Discontent, lacking joy, lacking satisfaction. And so if you're in that state and you're on the outside looking in, the vantage point is wealth is not the answer because they have it and still they are not satisfied. Still, they're searching for something else. And so Jesus' church, the message to this church that was poor and lacked wealth was, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. You don't have it the way that you want it, but it's better than you can understand. Jesus continues, he says, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. This is one of those moments you highlight in your Bible, like what in the world is happening here in this moment? And it's also one of those verses in the Bible that has been misinterpreted and hurt a group of people for generations. Historically, here's what's happening here. In a church like Smyrna, historically, in the time of Rome and their great reign, it would be a law to worship the emperor 
a requirement to worship the one who is in power. Except for one group. One group was exempt from this law. Do you know which group that was? The Jews. Jewish people were exempt from this law of worshiping the emperor. But here's what happened. The gospel enters into this community. And more and more people come to know Jesus. They turn from saying, hey, we need to be just about Moses to we need to be all about Jesus. And so now you have Jews that have converted to Christianity. But then you have some Jews that did not convert to Christianity. And here's what they chose to do. They politicked. They schemed. They manipulated. They went to powerful political officials and tried to convince them that these Jews that had converted to Christianity need to be led to worship the emperor. And they did this because they knew that those Christians, those followers of Jesus, would not pledge allegiance to the emperor, and the consequences of that choice would be persecution and death. And so Jesus is saying, for all of those Jews that are practicing this way of life and leading followers of Jesus to worship this false god, They are conspiring with Satan. That's what Jesus is saying here in this moment. This is a message for this group and this church at this period of time. Jesus continues. He says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Ten days being symbolic imagery, and the message here is a reminder. Number one, that Jesus knows that they're about to suffer. He knows it, and yet he allows it to happen. And this is the tension why many people have walked away from God. Because you lost someone that you cared about. Because there's always the threat of war. Because that relationship failed. Because that person did something to you that has scarred you for the rest of your life. And your thinking is, if this all-powerful, all-loving God exists, why wouldn't he protect you from such pain? And so people get to this point and they say, I'm out. And yet over and over again, what Jesus tells these churches is whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But many people say, I don't want to listen to what God has to say because of what he's allowed in my life. And I want to address that before I do. There's a a popular... uh, series of, of, of writing that was made into a, a group of movies that many people have seen, Chronicles of Narnia, the original author, C.S. Lewis. And you might recall this, there's a scene where the children are learning about Aslan, who's this lion and powerful king. And one of the children, Lucy, hears about this king, and she asks a pretty great question. Is he quite safe? Like, I have children at home, and if they were hearing about this lion who's a king, that would be the question. Like, is this going to be all right? Like, are we good here? Is this a safe place for us to be? And, of course, the answer was, of course he's not safe, but he is good. It is true that God allows suffering and pain, and it is also true 
that he is good. It's true that God can use the pain and suffering and brokenness in our life to lead us towards something far better than we could ever dream, hope, or imagine. Simply put, God is so good that he can use the so bad to give us something so great. Religion gets in the way. Gospelish thinking gets in the way. Here's what happens. People have taught, people believe that the only obstacle to a pain-free life is obedience. That the more rules I follow, the bigger the force field is around my life. The more obedient I am, the more the chance I have of not experiencing injustice, trauma, pain, or persecution. And that is a lie. Jesus has never promised that. In fact, it's the opposite. When we sign up to say, I follow Jesus, hardship awaits. Going against the flow awaits. But when we look at the 66 books that we call the Bible, over and over again, God communicates certain themes when it comes to suffering. Here are three of them. Why would he allow suffering? Number one, to show us the strength of the object of our faith. Because the moment you hit rock bottom, the moment you hit crisis, the moment you're in the midst of pain and suffering, you find out that faith in and of itself is not powerful. It's faith in a person that's powerful. And wherever you place your faith, you're gonna find out it's either powerful or powerless. It is a humbling experience when you find out that all of your success in life does not make you immune from suffering. It is a painful experience when you're wrestling with God in the midst of hardship. And the question you're being challenged with is do you worship the provider or what he provides? Do you love the one who provides or the stuff he gives? It's a hard moment to be there. But in those moments, the strength of our faith in Jesus can be revealed. Here's what that looks like. When we experience suffering, God gives us the opportunity to care for other people. At this church, I am grateful for ministries like our journey of hope. Because this is a group of people that want to come alongside those that are in the midst of cancer, the unknown, that they've gone through that battle, they've gone through that fight, and now they can help people in their time of need. Divorce care is another ministry that we have here at this church. You've gone through the pain and hardship of separation, and that's going to follow you for the rest of your life. And being able to have a safe place where you can have conversation, where people can pray for you and encourage you. Grief share, surviving the holidays. It's this time of year where we're reminded of the people that are not here. And we long for them to be here. So having that place where your tragedy can help someone else triumph in the midst of a trial is so, so important. I've experienced this two ways in my life. This past week, most recently, a friend called me up. He's a lead pastor. Church is going through some challenging situations. People have left the church struggling with, with staff, trying to lead in a midst of uh, potential war and threat and just overwhelming, he was tapped out. And his message to me was, I don't know if I can continue to do this anymore. And my wife is done. 
And in that moment, because of the things that I have walked through, there was a level of empathy that I understood. I physically felt the pain that he was feeling in that moment and was able to serve him in that way. And yet, God and his sovereignty and his love for me sent a pastor, and you used to hear Wendell Full up here earlier, someone that has also served as a lead pastor. And so many times over the past couple years, Wendell has been a support for me on a personal level to provide comfort and care in the midst of the challenging because of his own story. And you all have stories of times of things that you've walked through, painful things that maybe even be hard to think about or relive, and yet God has uniquely shaped you and gifted you to maybe be a voice of hope through the lens of Jesus for someone else that God is going to send into your life, and you never know when that's going to happen. So God says, I'm going to allow this to happen, and, and you might want things to be different, but they're better than you can understand yet. And then finally, to draw us up and others to himself. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to build this church, this ecclesia, this, this movement, this gathering of people. And as powerful as we paint out the enemy to be this time of year, as you drive around the neighborhoods and, and evil becomes just something that we accept and we turn a blind eye to, we're reminded that the risen God, that same power dwells within us. And God says, I'm going to build an army to reach more and more people in my name. But you know this, that the early church was birthed. The early church was launched off the heels of those who suffered. The people said, I'm going to follow Jesus. So follow me as I follow his example. And what was his example? Jesus was persecuted, he was killed, and he was hung on a cross. And in the midst of his suffering, it was the joy that was set before him that he endured. It was the benefit of others that allowed him to endure that suffering. Not in what that moment was and all of that pain and the brokenness of humanity upon his shoulders, but the vision of how God is going to use this moment of suffering. That's what we celebrate here as followers of Jesus, that he was put to death, but he was risen. And so now we say, invest and invite. And what we mean by that is we say, invite people into your life. And the message is this, follow me as I follow the example of Jesus. And here's the hard part, not just on the good days, but on the lowest of days, when your light is shining bright, when it doesn't make any logical sense for you to continue to have faith, but you serve a supernatural God that defies logic. And you're gonna lean in that moment and you're gonna trust with conviction and the Holy Spirit's gonna provide you courage and just watch as people lean into this faith that transforms. Watch how God of the universe draws people in to his saving grace because you're leaning into a powerful, powerful God. Jesus says, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Those that have pledged allegiance to Jesus will not experience eternal separation 
from God. But the Bible uses all kinds of imagery to remind us that everybody spends forever somewhere. And his love for you is that somewhere would be with him. His love for you is that you would turn to him and transfer your allegiance to the living God. That's his hope for you and for me. So here's the question. What could keep you from trusting in the one who gives eternal life? This looks differently for us all. It's probably not the same answer for everybody. But did you know that often questions lead to the answers that we're seeking? I heard a crazy story this week of someone I get to serve with and and they actually led someone to the Lord in a grocery store this week. And do you know how God used that situation? I got some questions I wanna talk with you about. And those answers led that person to cross the line of faith. Praise Jesus. So I don't know where you're at in that journey, but maybe your next step is just to sign up to the baptism class and say, I don't know if I believe this yet, but I've got questions and so I hear, here I am. We would love to sit with you in that. October 29th, sign up online. Easy next step for you. But if you've already made that decision and you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I know to be true about you because it's true of me. We still struggle to trust. And there's a thing that binds everybody here in this room. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, our gravitational pull is to choose comfort over courage. And yet, the message from Jesus to the church of Smyrna The message from Jesus to us today is to choose courage over comfort. I don't care what your political label is. I don't care whatever social issues that that are most prevalent to you. I mean, the thing that aligns us all is that we can look at the world and say there are big problems, big problems that we're facing. Here's the tension point. We disagree on what those problems are, much less the solutions. People are engaged and enraged in protest. And this is the time where the world's filled with keyboard cowboys. It's so nice that we can say all of our thoughts, feelings, and conviction online, throw up a tweet bomb or whatever it's called these days, a little TikTok video, speak your piece, and then walk away and leave that mess for someone else to deal with. Isn't that convenient? And yet, this is a time where we're terrified of having meaningful conversations, looking people in the eye and say, we don't agree on this, but in the name of love, let's figure this out. Help me to understand. Let's walk through this together. That type of conversation takes courage. I don't know what's ahead But I think more and more to say, I follow Jesus, it's going to take courage. This week's catechism, sorry, Austin, I didn't mean to break your toy up here. It's gonna be all right. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 reminds us that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
So this, the catechism is a tool. There's a question and an answer. It helps us follow Jesus. So how should the word of God be read and heard? With diligence, preparation, and prayer. So that we may accept it with faith, store it in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. Let me ask you, when, when someone comes to you and they share with you hard things that they're going through, because you love them, you want to encourage them, right? You want to inspire them. You want to show up for them. But sometimes that sounds like, you got this, or you got this, girl, whatever it might be. Like, hang in there. But that's not Holy Spirit inspiration. Because a more powerful approach is to lean into what they're saying and remind them of God's word and that he's got this. Do you know what the father did for Jesus after he stepped forward in obedience? He encouraged him. He said, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. For so many years for me as following after Jesus, I've focused on the well pleased part because I grew up when my childhood is like, hey, is, is, am I good? Like, have I done enough good job? Just pat me on the back, like, am I winning? And I bypassed the part where it says, with him. With him. He was with him as he is with you. So here's what this looks like. I don't know what situation you're going through, but when we read the Bible, the 66 books that we call the Old Testament and New Testament is filled with stories who've showed up of times where God was faithful. The same God who showed up in this situation is the same God that is walking with you in your present circumstances. So let's talk Noah. We know the story of Noah, even if you're not a Bible person. So God says, I want you to build this ginormous boat with all these specific instructions for several, several years because this thing's calling, it's calling a flood. You know, he never experienced a flood before. He just knew it was coming. When I was seven years old, I woke up one day and my mom said, hey, you don't have school today because a hurricane's coming. And I was like, I kind of knew what a hurricane was, but then I was curious, like a hurricane's that powerful, like we're not gonna have school. So I did with what most seven-year-old boys did. I opened up the blinds and I was ready. And I went outside and I wanted to feel the hurricane. Like this is gonna be powerful, right? Because I didn't know what was coming. Noah didn't know what was coming, but God was with him. Parents, look, I get it. You're terrified of these conversations around gender. How am I gonna walk through this with my children? You're terrified that we live in a culture where sexual ex exploration is something that happens at a very early age and you feel ill-equipped to have those conversations. You don't know what this looks like. Those of you that show up in the workplace and you say you're a follower of Jesus, you're terrified of putting yourself out there of the consequences of what might be when you say, hey, I'm on team Jesus. You don't know what's gonna happen. Noah didn't know what was gonna happen, but the same God who was with him is walking with you in this moment right now. That same God that was with Joseph at the bottom of a cistern as his own brothers tried to kill him is with you. As you look up at the cistern of life and you're full of despair, anxiety, you're trapped in addiction and you're not sure what's gonna happen next, that same God that was with Joseph then is with you right now. 
And the same God that was with Ruth. You know Ruth? Ruth was a widow. It's an opportunity to recalculate. I can go back to Moab because it's safe, it's familiar, I know it. I know the rhythms, I know what to expect there. Or I could follow the one who was better to a God that was better. And the same God that was with Ruth then is with you now. I don't know what's ahead. I know there's a lot of questions. There might be more pain. Things might get worse before they get better, but the same God that we read about in the 66 books we call the Bible is with us now. Turn to someone and say, he is with you. Now say it so that our neighbors in the neighborhood across the street can hear us. He's with you. So here's the next step. This morning, the band's gonna lead us in a song that we've sung before. But before we do that, I'd like us to prepare our hearts and mind with a time of prayer. And there's two questions I'd like us to wrestle with. Where in your life are you choosing comfort over courage? That's question one. And how might God use his word to equip you today? Not tomorrow, but today. Secondly, who in your life needs courage? Ask the spirit of God. This is amazing. You can ask God each and every day, put names on my heart, put faces in my mind that I might pray for today. Ask him to bring names to the surface that you might call on the way home today to say, hey, I just, I don't know why you're on my heart, but I want you to know that God is with you, that he's with you, and see what God does. Let's take a moment to pray together quietly as the Spirit intercedes in our lives, and then we're gonna sing together.